0: Good morning and welcome to HR Tech weekly one step closer with Stacy Harrison John Sumzer Stacy welcome back to the, to the continental United States
1: <laughs> thank you John I appreciate it I am I, I and I'd like to say I was home in North Carolina but I'm not I'm actually still traveling a little bit I'm in Ohio I'm actually to my hometown of Ohio um, looking out at the swollen banks of Lake Erie right now I came up came to visit my son who's a traveling in from Hawaii this week. And so we wanted to catch up with him before he went back to Hawaii. Um, And the rain, if you've been listening to the news and people talking about the rain and how much it's impacting the, the uh, Northeast Ohio area, they are not kidding. It is everywhere you go, flooded out roads, the banks of Lake Erie are up and above where they have been at in years. And if you are anyone who just depends on the price of corn, my recommendation right now is to put some money in the bank because the corn is nowhere near where it needs to be um, from someone who grew up around it. So, yeah. yeah. But I, but I am back in the United States now, so it's it's nice to be at least on a home soil.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, so welcome back. What did you learn in Europe?
1: Well, Europe was fun. I, I took an actual week of vacation, which was really nice. So the one thing that I, that I, I learn every time I go there, because when you talk to the Europeans, is that <laughs> – we in America do not take our vacations correctly and we definitely don't take them long enough because everyone's like, Oh, you're on vacation, so you'll be here the whole month and I was like, No, just really for two weeks, a week of work and a week of vacation and they were all just flabbergasted because their opinion of a vacation is a full four weeks if you can get a vacation. So that I definitely reminds me that when you're dealing with European uh, employees. You have to have built in the idea that August, July, there is vacations, and it is a big part of the um, expectations of every worker, even at the service level. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Europe was great. Um, there, uh, One of the things I was over, at, I think last time we talked, I was just finishing up the Talentsoft uh, um, conference, and I had an opportunity to speak to a couple of the um, Companies who were out there in that area um, really saw that there was a lot of focus on um, European-based smaller businesses as a, as a big part of the buying cycle right now. So um, I know there's a lot of competition coming from the states as well, but it seems like there's, a, there's a, uh, an expectation that organizations are going to uh, maybe find one or two really big European-based um, talent management, payrolls, or core H R M S environments that will will start growing pretty rapidly here uh in the next several years We've got a couple that we're going to talk about on the news today so yeah so it was, it was a good good event and a good a uh, good couple weeks in europe and how about you you've been you're home but you're doing demos right now right
0: oh man i am doing demos i have talked with i i'm at 97 now i've talked with 97 companies who have some sort of offering in the um um, area that I'd call intelligent tools in HR tech. Wow. So, so things that range from um, uh, analytics to full-up comprehensive um, um, AI-based suites. And um, uh, it's, it's amazing how differently people perceive this stuff and approach this stuff it's not – AI is, I guess, sort of like like um, a spice rack or something. There's a lot of options and a lot of different ways of thinking about things. And so you end up with these um, uh, very large companies who are installing intelligence in sort of every nook and cranny of their business. Um, and little tiny companies who are perfecting a single model or a single algorithm, right? And so this, right. The, the spectrum is pretty broad, and the ways that people think about what's ethical and what's safe are um, very, very different. One of the things that's become pretty clear is that um, the liability for the results of these intelligent tools is never going to be graciously um, taken up by the vendor. So, so when a company installs these tools, they need to run it through a legal check and an ethical check before they deploy it. And they need to understand how they tell um, if the tool stays within those legal and ethical bounds after it's running, because the very nature of these things is they change what they do
1: well and i and i think the the legal and ethical component is is changing under our feet as well i mean we just had saw the passage i think i'm i'm going to get all the states wrong but there was a passage of a bill just recently you probably know and i did of the the video um
0: right illinois ai for illinois, where illinois
1: yep exactly and and that just happened where you know organizations are going to have to let people know you know what that video AI system is doing and how it's doing it. And there's some regulations around that. But I, I mean, I'm hearing about regulations like this being put forward almost on a daily basis. It's, it's really hard to keep track of it all, right? It's, it's almost as bad as payroll regulations are going to be right.
0: Well, and, and in this case, you, you know, payroll regulations, you recognize right away that that applies to payroll. But yeah. for instance, San Francisco banned facial recognition. I don't have the slightest idea what that actually means, right? It's, it, I I don't know how you do that. Uh, And I don't know um, how you think about a municipality banning a technology that comes in nationally to cell phones that happen to be in the municipality, but um, um, San Francisco has banned the use of facial recognition technology. And so you have to, you have to take these, this into account for if you are, for instance, doing video interviewing.
1: Yeah. Which is, which is sort of crazy because, you know, there's so many different things you use that might have that type of technology. Like you were just saying, is it, is it illegal if it is coming out of another state? Is it illegal if it's part of a bigger algorithm? Is it illegal if it is your company is headquartered somewhere else and you're using it here, right? But so, so if I'm the interviewee coming out of California or Illinois and you're headquartered in Delaware and you're doing the interview out of Delaware, all those questions have to be answered yet, right?
0: Yeah, and and I'm sure that the the you know the the governments and legal structure are all geographically based. So so it will it will be the first pass that, that enforcement means enforcing it um, in the jurisdiction. So the reason that American companies have to um, abide by some elements of GDPR is that there are some citizens of European companies who live in the United States, but are, are covered by uh, GDPR regulations because they're citizens over there. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a good time to be a lawyer, but you'd have a big headache.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or at least to have a lawyer on speed dial as quickly as possible whenever you're dealing with this stuff, yeah. So like you said, everything has to go through your company's sort of filter of legal and ethics and everything. So, yeah, and and yet the money keeps flowing in this space. We've got six, almost seven companies on the list this week who are getting large amounts, not just – I mean, there's a lot of seed funding and stuff going on, but these are – in the millions of dollars of of funding that is happening for these same type of conversations we're having, right?
0: Well, it's it. One of the things that's fascinating is that millions of dollars is no longer a lot of money, right? If <laughs> if well, if a data scientist is four hundred thousand dollars a year, um, and you need one of those to make your company work, well, t- two years of of that person. $400,000 in salary plus benefits takes you to the first million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you need that. You need that investment, that simple investment, plus a bunch of coders and stuff before you even have something to deliver to the market to see if it works.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good calculation. Definitely. it. it you know, it, I think, you know, that's actually a commentary on, on where the market's heading, which is. It used to be a lot of these small companies could start up a a software business with minimal investment because you could get a couple of coders at a fairly reasonable rate. You could, you know, get into the Internet at a fairly reasonable rate. You know, there was a lot of small cloud-based businesses that built themselves bootstrapped all the way through. But you you make a good point that in this market, not only do you need the funding for the, the cost of the you know, data scientists, but you also need funding for the data itself. The data is very expensive to get big enough and solid enough data to do the training for these things. Right.
0: That's right. That's right. And and the actual quality of the product depends on the data. That's the second thing after you do the legal review or or in conjunction with the legal review, you have to really understand how the um, predictive tools um, were trained initially. Well, th- this
1: might lead into some of our first couple of conversations or, or, or uh, news items this week. I mean, is, is this why we're seeing a lot of acquisition of these small companies, is that these big companies, even though they have the budgets, they may not have the skill sets or the data sets? I mean, Ison just acquired Jive. Provide employers' best-in-class candidate engagement and recruiting marketing capabilities. Um, are these are these functionality plays? Is that something with the Jibe acquisition, or is that also part of this? I need to get the right data as well to, to do the the work that I'm looking at doing. It's
0: it's a little bit of both. Isim's buying Jibe is a is a stake in the ground. IS, Isim's. I was thinking about this this morning. To me, it looks like they are. I'm sure they would say no to this, but but it looks to me like they are headed down the road towards a public offering. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this broadens their functionality. um, And they've been doing that, broadening the functionality, collecting the core data, and building intelligence based on that broadened functionality. So with Jive, they get a good deal more uh, granular insight into behavior in the um, um employment website and in, in the candidate funnel which is um, where the competition is really heating up that's where phenom people does its work and um phenom people um, looks newer and shinier compared to iSIM so this is a good way for them to to improve and um if you if you look at the text recruit acquisition that they did before, the folks at ISOMs are really good at acquisitions and, and that's not um, um common. Most acquisitions fail. No. Most acquisitions exactly. fail. Yeah. And and I ISOM seems to have a handle on how to do it right. We'll see how they do with Jive. We'll see how they do with Jive but but I'm pretty impressed with what they've done in their evolution of the relationship with text recruit.
1: No, that is definitely, I mean, you you know, your comment about them broadening their offerings and this is definitely more on the, I would say talent acquisition (laughs) marketing side of things. But, you know, the thing to know, you know, I've all, I've been watching ICENS for a while because they're one of the few, I would say niche players because they are a niche recruiting player, right? That's, that's their, their sort of the hub, what they do, but they started sort of branching out and offering onboarding and some elements around onboarding that then turn them into, at least for the buyers, again, I, this may not be the classical expectation. No one would call them a talent management application. They don't have learning or performance, but the buyers see them as their primary talent management application. At least when they're talking to us on the fear sheet or survey side, you know, they're one of the few niche players that have enough people who comment, this is my primary talent management application that we have to you know put them in our sort of mix of talent management players and so it's an interesting thing. I-SIMS does a nice job, I think, of of sort of doing well at a lot of things. To your point, bringing in the right players enough that you know the buyers feel like they add value in a lot of different places. So, so they'll definitely be interesting to see how they deal with the Jive um, acquisition as well.
0: Well, and Joe Essenfeld, who runs Jive, is. <sighs> I was thinking about him this morning, you know, the the idea that that you build a company with investment for 10 years and to do all of the changing and rethinking and juggling um, that it takes to be successful over the course of a decade uh, while continuing to be innovative that's a really hard thing to do and and so and so isoms also is really good at attracting that kind of energy into the fold right and that's that's because Colin Day, who is the c e o at ISIMS, um, um seems to have a knack for making the tent bigger and making the company itself you know, inclusive as a culture that's that's an interesting. An interesting difference, and they're becoming um, a major force there the, are the places where 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 becoming would be questioned but the, but they're becoming a major force in the in the overall talent ecosystem, just like you said, because yeah. they've been relentless, like Joe Essenfeld has been relentless in building and discovering and learning from their mistakes and and expanding with the with the benefit of what they've discovered and you, you sort of can't ask for a better culture in in the vendor of the technology
1: yeah, and cultural fit is a big part of these acquisitions i mean the other big acquisition that happened this month that is sort of tangentially in our market, but with Salesforce buying Tableau, that's a culture fit I, I'm not sure we'll go over as well. So for those, you know, Salesforce, obviously the big CRM, um, the largest cloud sales uh, system in the market, Tableau, depending on who you talk to, but probably one of the largest sort of BI analytics visualization tool sets in the market as far as, as, as adoption, um, but those two organizations have very different cultures. Um, Salesforce bought them for 15.3 billion billion, one of the largest sort of uh, all-stock deals, but one of the largest acquisitions they've made to date. And um, what was really interesting for me is that Tableau still has a huge amount of their – because they just recently went cloud not too many years ago, but a lot of their buyers are still in an on-premise environment and they work heavily in what we would call the hybrid cloud space, right? Um, Salesforce, not so much. Those two cultures seem like they would clash so much to me. I I don't know. Do you feel that culture is going to be a big issue for them, where it's been a positive for ISIMs and and their acquisitions?
0: Well, you you know, so, so this one, the Salesforce acquisition of Tableau reminds me of the origin story of the SAP acquisition of SuccessFactors. And the 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 story there currently the the SuccessFactors team is becoming a primary asset in the SAP portfolio. Yeah. But it wasn't always so, and 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 I I will be floored to discover that there are more than 10 percent of the original team from SuccessFactors operating at um, SAP. Right. So so on on many levels the acquisition was a failure Um, now they they kept the brand they kept the functionality and they kept the discipline of continuing to grow and turn over management staff until they arrived at where they are today Um, so they made the the balance sheet part of it work but the cultural match just wasn't there Um, and and I don't know what happens to Tableau if the cultural match isn't there because as much as Salesforce wants to be a great enterprise company, it's a CRM, Um, (laughs) you, you know, and so, and so some of the muscle that's associated with being an Oracle or IBM or SAP or ultimate software just isn't really there, even though they have that really big, tall office building. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, I I would have to agree. Every time they've tried to branch out into other areas, it has always started and then stopped because at the end of the day, their focus, their buyers, their whole company is sales-oriented, sales systems-oriented, and anything that doesn't tie back to that doesn't get the attention, right? so. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a big concern for the tableau market. And it and not only sales oriented, but I'd say cloud sales oriented, right? I think that's the other piece of their culture that's really important to note, right?
0: So 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 I don't I I would guess seems to me that where Tableau gets used the most is in an analysis rather than reporting. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? That Tableau is Tableau is a tool for doing Problem analysis, and it seems to me that that that's where the dividing line between sales and operations is.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, I mean, Salesforce has their own sort of reporting functionality, but they don't have an analysis capability. I think that has been at least from you know. And again, I don't work with it in depth, so you know, obviously, anybody's listening can. Feel free to, to chime in on this one, but yeah, it's not um, the analysis side of it. I think is a big missing piece that Tableau can offer, right? And that dividing line, uh, but it's also the visualization piece. I mean, a big part is the ability to sort of take those widgets and those, those little, you know, dashboards and those tools and, and embed them into other places. Um, again, a lot of the other value proposition, Salesforce is all of the other things that are built on the platform, right? So all of the other little businesses that have used their technology and their platform to build their own elements, and there are some analytics tools that have done that. So this will be interesting too to see if those things get impacted by
0: this as well, right? Yep, yep. And then we have BetterUp raises a hundred and three million dollars to humanize work.
1: <laughs> yep, this one caught my eye. I mean, a hundred like you said, millions not as big as it used to be these days, right? But still. You know, 103 million for a mobile coaching application um, focused on leadership development. Now, I have not looked at better up. It's not fallen into my sort of purview of things that have come across my table, but I was sort of blown away by by the number that was put on this for um, improvements with this application. I, have you run across any sort of coaching and leadership tool sets that have that have Gotten this much in, in funding um, for an organization like this?
0: Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. And and you know they they they, they talk extensively of their um, clients, who include Airbnb, Instacart, Logitech, yeah. Symantec, and Workday, um, um, and and that they have a hundred enterprise customers. I, um, this, this just makes me uh, uncomfortable. The, the, the idea that, that you can scale mobile technology that delivers coaching by phone, mm-hmm. I don't know, but, but you know, you know, I've been, I have been baffled recently as I look out at the, out at the learning and development universe. I've been baffled by the fact that almost everything I see in learning and development is introductory training. Yeah. I I don't really see um, the production of sort of graduate level courses in subject X or Y because because the company is specializing in it. It's all leadership one-on-one and how to use a spreadsheet and um, these sort of rudimentary things, and this seems like it falls in that. I, I can't imagine that you can deliver a um, um, a coaching tool done at scale that will help me make a decision about whether or not to fire my CMO.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But, right. This 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 will help me uh, coach me through the process of talking to Sally when she's late all the time. Um, and th- that's really important. But the real, the real leadership issues in an organization are not. I, but maybe you disagree. But, the, but I don't think the real leadership issues in organizations ha- have to do with having hard conversations between supervisors and employees. It's certainly important, but it's not the most important thing.
1: Well, I, I, I'll push back a little bit. I, I think it's, it's probably the thing that. Um, that often gets the least investment in, in, um, in development when you're you're promoting people. And so I, I, do, I do understand why there's a lot of programs built around it, right? Um, because organizations usually find out too late that they have promoted a whole group of leaders who just don't know how to have the hard conversations. And when you don't know how to have the hard conversations, then you end up with a lot of people really unclear of what the boundaries are It's like, you know, sort of raising children or anything else, you, you have to know what the boundaries are and you have to understand the, the, the reasons why those boundaries are there. And, and that's a, a simple skill set that's hard to do. Right. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, the, the things you're talking about, the master's level, the really hard decisions about, you know, how, you know, what what's the balance between an innovative, um, team member versus one who is, you know, constantly causing chaos in the organization. And that would be the CMO that do I let them go? Do I not? When there are other things that you're trying to balance, those kind of things are really hard to coach and to put into a, a repeatable training scenario, right? Because they're, they're one-offs. Every situation is somewhat of a one-off, right? So, um, and so we don't get detailed. That's the kind of stuff you learn through mistakes in many cases, or you learn from some, having someone sitting next to you with the coaching. So they do have a, a series of coaches that go along with this program, like uh, live coaches, it looks like. But I don't know, again, if they're not inside the company, how relevant that is, right? So, yeah, it, it, I, I agree that, that it's a challenge to get to that level. Um, but I do think that it's valuable, even though it's not at
0: that level so so you you said something that that caught my attention uh, and it sounds like you may have seen some examples of this Um, you you talked about um, having hired a bunch of managers who don't know how to have hard conversations you all of a sudden have this training problem Um, um, is is that fatal what what happens when the organization gets to the point where the managers can't have hard conversations so the boundaries get blurry? Um, what happens?
1: Well, I mean, I can say from my experience inside of corporations where that ends up happening, that's when your culture starts to break down. That's when employees get frustrated. That's when um, you end up with one department being able to do something and another department not being able to do something, right? And then you, you basically... Are, are breeding um, very frustrated employees who are not focused on getting their job done, but are focused on the, the internal politics in some level, right? Because it becomes a political conversation versus a, a sort of guidelines and reasons and you know um, data-driven conversations, right? And that's what you're trying to avoid in most of these organizations. But it's really, really hard to take that out of an organization that has not had this kind of development in it
0: uh, for years and years and years. That's, so, so that's that, That's very close to something that I've been trying to figure out with with the AI stuff. And that is that is, if you take job descriptions and you take resumes and you match these things together, the thing that you don't know is what's wrong with the job description. Right, and so if you're in a culture that doesn't that doesn't emphasize um, radical candor, I think is 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 one of the ways they talk about this thing: being clear about about when it's time for discipline um, in the, the non-punitive way, just regimentation sort of discipline. Um, um, if that isn't part of the organization's way of thinking, then an AI tool that matches people to the organization will amplify that problem, and um, there's there's very little work going on um, to assess whether or not a company is headed in the right direction and needs to um, adjust its hiring process to get on the right direction. There's, I haven't seen anything that addresses that. And what you're talking about would be a fairly common problem that would be amplified by, by an AI hiring more people who are like the people who are already in the company.
1: I think you've hit on something. I mean, maybe it's why I always feel so anxious when I'm working on with, you know, conversations about artificial intelligence, because I've seen organizations who you know, everyone—it's like watching a freight train coming down the road. You know it's coming. Everybody in the company is struggling. Everybody's frustrated, and you can't get off the track. Well, speed that up. <laughs> what does that do to the company? Right. <laughs> At least when when you've got time to to sort of deal with it, then that you know boards have time to bring in new leadership, and there and and you and you get some warning flags because you know numbers start to drop slowly. But you speed that up, and everybody, yeah, you end up with with much quicker failures, probably, right? Um, than you see in other organizations. So yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, so so that's what I'm watching. Anyhow, yeah. I'm glad you're back in the states, and it is yeah. right at the it is right at the half hour. So so we have um, wandered our way through another um, great conversation. Thanks for doing this.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And we'll probably cover some more of the the areas where we saw investments um, for next week, because I I don't know how, how much we'll get over the summer months, but there's a lot of places where I think the conversations we're having are fitting into both investments and new products that are coming out. So, so it'll be fun to see where your, your demos and the new things you're learning are going to take us for the next couple of uh, conversations, John. So always fun to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth saying that, that, um, um on the hr examiner website um we always have the entire list of things that we meant to talk about associated with it with the page that has the radio show on it so if you want to know yeah. what did, what did they miss this week <laughs> the the best <laughs> answer is to go over to hr examiner and look at the radio shows and read Stacy's beautiful piece of of work about the uh, various announcements that we didn't get to yeah,
1: that that we didn't get to talk around the water cooler about, but yeah, that no, that's a great great uh, reminder for everyone that we try and at least capture it all.
0: So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So thanks. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly. One step closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser, and we will see you back here next week. Bye bye now, and thanks again, Stacey. Yep.
1: Yeah, thanks everyone. Bye. <laughs>